0: It's April, which means we get a new scripture memory verse of the month. So our new scripture memory verse of the month is going to come from First Corinthians, and it's going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. As we proclaim, all hail King Jesus, we do so because he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Let's read the verse together, 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. We have been studying stewardship. And we started off by looking at characteristics of God and how those characteristics of God lead to our role as stewards. The first thing that we covered was God as the owner-operator. As the creator of the universe, God is the owner-operator, and we then have the role of being managers. After that, we talked about God as being the king, and his role as king, or his characteristic as king, leads to us being diplomats on his behalf. Then we talked about God as ruler and our role as citizens. So today, we come to a close in our stewardship series, and we're going to talk about God as being our master, and our role is that of an investor. One of the things that maybe you've experienced in your childhood or in adulthood is being entrusted with care for the house when either your parent or your spouse is left on a long trip. Have you had that experience? I don't know about you, but when we first moved to Lincoln, Emily would take trips down to Trinidad and Tobago to teach a course. It's an awful life, right? Uh, But she would be on a trip for a week-long trip, and leading up to the trip, I always had this sort of imagination of what it would be like to just sort of let the house go and not worry about anything until the day before she came back. My OCD would kick in, and about half an hour after she left, I'd be vacuuming and doing the dishes, and I just couldn't do it. But I imagined what it would be like to have that feeling of getting everything, letting it go, all the free time, and then rushing to get it all back in order. In Matthew 25, in Matthew 25, Jesus tells a number of parables. And all of these parables come after the triumphal entry. After Jesus has been presented as King Jesus, he throws a whole new wrinkle into the ministry. And Jesus says, just wait, I'm going away. I know you just proclaimed me as king, you just shouted Hosanna, and we'll talk about that next week, but in Matthew 25, Jesus says, hold on, wait, I'm going away, but I'm coming again. And that's the context for Matthew 25, is Jesus has announced that he will be gone, but Jesus is coming again. And when he comes, he's going to expect the house to be clean. Or or something like that. So Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, is the last parable in the series of parables about Jesus' second coming. So we're going to read, and we're going to read individual sections. We're going to start with just verses 14 through 15 in Matthew 25. So starting in verse 14, it says... Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. So the point that I want you to see here as we talk about Jesus' coming again is that Jesus is the returning righteous master and he has expectations. Jesus is the returning righteous master, and he has expectations. So how do I get that out of this text? Well, the first thing that I want you to note is this is a parable. But in context, Jesus is very clearly talking about himself. He says, it will be like a man going on a journey. In context, we know this is Jesus he is saying that he was going to leave the disciples for a period of time. Turned out to be a long period of time that Jesus is gone for. But he is coming again. And that's the implication here: is It's not that he's gone forever. He's simply gone on a journey. He is coming again. So the first thing we see is that Jesus will come again. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Jesus will come again. But the second thing that I see here in verse 15 is that Jesus has gifted each of us. There is a gifting that Jesus notes in verse 15. Our our NIV translates it as uh, to one, he gave five bags of gold. Um, The King James says, talents, it's an idea of a weight. So a talent was the amount of weight that a soldier could carry on their back. So you think of a soldier, you know, a fairly muscular individual, someone who's been trained. They could typically carry between 75 and 100 pounds of weight on their back. So five talents is as much as 500 pounds. It's a lot. That's not a small amount. This master has entrusted his servants with, this servant in particular, with five talents. Another he entrusted with two talents. And a third he entrusted with one talent. It tells us that he did this entrusting or this gifting each in accordance with their ability. I think one of the hardest things for us to understand is the fact that God does not gift each of us in the same way. Or maybe it's the hardest thing to accept. I think we all understand that. I think we all understand that God made us differently and gifted us differently. But maybe that's harder for us to accept. In this parable, there's clear distinctions made. Somebody has five talents, 500 pounds. Somebody has two talents, 200 pounds. Somebody else has one talent, 100 pounds. I actually think that we should look at this As a good thing. You see, we are all equal in value before God. But God has not equally gifted us. That's good because that means that God does not expect all of us to give the same amount or to use our gifts in exactly the same way. If God asked me to give a million dollars, the answer would be I can't. Simply would. God hasn't asked that of me. Thank goodness he didn't equip me for that. But he has asked me to give up my previous job or to give what I can give, what I do have. The idea here is that God gifts us individually. And so he has individual expectations of us. So what is my call to action coming out of these first two verses? The call to action that I have for you is for you to take stock. Consider what God's given you. Take stock and ask, what has God given to you? He entrusted one of these servants, one of these investors, with five talents. He entrusted another with two, and he entrusted another with one. What is it that God has entrusted to you in your stewardship? Let's talk about us. Let's talk about verses 16 to 18. Starting in verse 16, the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. What do we see in these verses? I see that the servants, that's us, have choices. God gives us choices to make. He has given us gifts, and then he gives us choices to make. There are good choices, and there are bad choices. But I want you to notice some characteristics of these choices. First of all, notice the amount of time that takes place between when God, when the Master gifts the man with five talents and when he actually takes action. Our NIV says, he went at once. Immediately. It's a very strong statement in the text. Immediately, the individual that God had gifted with five talents went out and put it to work. Good choice. One of the other things that strikes me here is we actually don't get details... On how this was invested. On what exactly the individual did. We don't have those details given to us. Why? Because the point is not how he went and used the resources God had given him. The point is he did it. It's a step of action. A step of faith. That we take faith and we take what God has given us and we immediately use it for God. Same thing happens with the man who was given two talents or two bags of gold. He immediately goes out and uses the resources. There's also bad choices, though. Look at the man who received one bag. The one who had received one went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. What's the bad choice here? The bad choice was deciding not to act in faith and to use it. In fact, hiding it in the ground is what people did. If you had treasure back in that period of time, you didn't have a bank that you could trust to go put it in a safety deposit box. Those sorts of things didn't exist. The lock on your door was less secure than anybody would hope. The best place to hide something, if you wanted to never see it, never use it, never risk losing it, was to bury it. And so that's what happens. It's buried in the ground. But that's not an act of faith. That's an act of the safe bet. The problem was not disobedience. The problem was a lack of faith. A lack of faith. Let's continue on, though, in verses 19 through 27. Nineteen. harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. What we see is the future. Remember, Jesus is coming again. The future, we see that each investor will give an account. Each investor is going to give an account to Jesus for how that investor has used the gifting that Jesus has bestowed. There's three things that are really emphasized in this text. The first thing that's really emphasized is the length of time. Our Bibles, our NIV, says after a long time, there's emphasis on that length of time. After a long period of time, For our case, it's been nearly 2,000 years. But Jesus is coming again. Don't forget that. After a long period of time, the master returns. And he takes account. Something that is uh, really strong in the Greek language is the direction of movement in this text. Everything is directed towards the master. All of the verbs in the text have this direction of movement towards the master. This is all about the master. When Jesus comes again, every eye will be on him because it will be all about Jesus. And that's what's happening here in this text. Everything is focused on the master. Our second point of emphasis, though, that I want you to see is equality of blessing. Look at the servant who received five talents and the servant who received two talents. Look at the blessing pronounced on them. So that's verses 21 and verses 23. Look for any differences. So I want you to understand this. In God's economy, there is difference in gifting. There is difference in opportunity. But there's not difference in result. There is actually equality in final result. So while each of us here have different opportunities to serve, different gifting different ways that we can give to God. In the end, if we give our all, God blesses us equally in the end. okay, It's not our role to determine equality of outcome. It is God's role. God, in the end, for those who are dedicated to him, who give their all to him, God will bless equally. He will provide equality of outcome. But it's God who does that. No matter what you give, if you give your all, God will bless. Third point of emphasis. Third point of emphasis is a contrast between the servants. Look at the first servant and the way he approaches God. He says, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. There's an excitement there. An anticipation. Look what was accomplished with the five bags of gold you gave me. I acted in faith, and look, the result was doubled. That's amazing. The second servant. You entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. Again, there's excitement. Look what I did with the two bags of gold you gave me. Look what was accomplished. The third servant. I want you to contrast that. How does he approach? Excitement is hardly on his mind, it looks like. He says, I was afraid. And then he says, here, have what's yours. Do you catch the tone of dismissal in his statement? Here, you can have what's yours. It's yours. God has entrusted us with gifts. We've talked about stewardship. One of the things that we have talked about is that it is all God's. Everything. He created it all. It all belongs to him. But I'm going to tell you that just saying that it's God's is not enough. I'm sorry. I know that that's hard. But simply saying it's God's is not enough. God wants us to take action. He wants us to step out in faith. Yes, it is all God's. I don't want to diminish that in any way. But simply saying, yeah, it's all yours, God. That's not enough. That's what the third servant does. He said, it's all yours. Here, here's what's yours. No. God expects us to act on what he's given us. So, what's my action step for you? Determine determine to wisely use what christ has given you because there is a call to action here in this passage it is not simply enough to say it's god's we must act on that fact we must take responsibility and use it for god determine to wisely use what christ has given you let's go on to verses 28 through 30. Verse 28 says, So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have, will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's kind of a a hard passage there. What's the point, the emphasis? It's judgment. There are actions that warrant reward and actions that warrant penalty. When I hear the word judge, I think of a courtroom. That's what comes to my mind at least. But did you know that not every judge is necessarily there for a bad reason? There are good times to be judged. So, Prior to 1976, in gymnastics, everybody thought it would be impossible for anybody to ever achieve a score of a perfect 10. It was thought to be completely impossible. In fact, it was so so accepted that it was impossible that all of the scoreboards in gymnastics only had three digits, a ones place, a tenths place, decimal place, and a hundredths place, second decimal place. The scoreboards actually could not display a score of 10. It was impossible to do so. In 1976, in the Olympics, Nadia Comaneci had a beautiful performance. Amazing performance. And the crowd waited in anticipation to see how the judges would evaluate her. And when the score appeared, nobody could believe it. Because her score was one, one, one. All three judges gave her ones. No. The scoreboard was unable to display. All three judges awarded her tens. See, those judges looked at what she had done, and they found it perfect. She was judged And rewarded for the work she had done. All judgment is not bad. I see in verses 28 through 30 a key point. I see the grace of God. By God's grace, if we give our all in service to him, he will judge us and he will find us righteous because of Christ. Look at what happens in verse 28. The master takes the bag of gold from the one who was found wanting. And in an act of absolute and utter grace, he gives the bag of gold to the one who already got everything he deserved. He gave him more. The one who had acted wisely, the servant who had stewarded the resources, who had invested wisely... Received even more. That's grace. And that's how we should be looking at this verse. This is what you might call a reversal of expectation. We expect that the person who earned five gets his five and moves on. No, he receives more. The master blesses above and beyond. But there's another reversal of expectation there's judgment of God. In, in the negative sense, look at verse 30 and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is another reversal of expectation. If at your place of employment, you begin to no longer do your job, what happens? Eventually, you lose your job. But that's it, right? You don't, there's really no more penalty beyond you just lose your job. Here we have another reversal of expectation. The individual who doesn't do the job that God has given them doesn't simply lose the job. No, they are judged and found lacking. The implication here is that those who accept Jesus as their Savior and serve will do their job. It's a natural outcome. The servant who does not do the job, though, is removed. So, what does this mean in terms of an action step? It means that we should live expectantly. We should live our life expecting Jesus to return. Committing ourselves to Jesus' return. Living as if it could be any time. Living life knowing that Jesus is going to return. A woman once approached John Wesley, and she asked him an interesting question. This woman asked John Wesley, if you knew that you were going to die tomorrow, how would you spend the rest of the day? It's a good question. Let me read you John Wesley's response. Why, madame, just as I intend to spend it now? I would preach this evening at Gloucester, And again at five tomorrow morning, after that, I would ride to Tuskbury, preach in the afternoon, and meet the societies in the evening. I would then go to Ren Martin's house, who expects me to entertain, talk and pray with the family, as usual, retire to my room at 10 o'clock, commend myself to my Heavenly Father, lie down to rest, and wake up in glory. That's what it means to live expectantly. So that you can say, how would you live if you knew Christ was coming tomorrow? Just like I'm living now. Because that's what it means to steward and to invest wisely. We've had four sermons on stewardship. We're going to have the opportunity on May 15th to step out in faith and steward well. And I want you to remember that this is a step in faith. The servants here, the investors here, we don't know how they invested those resources in the parable. It doesn't matter. What matters is that they took what their master had given them and they stepped out in faith and invested it, knowing that when they committed it to the master's work, it would pay dividends. The failure of the steward who did not invest was not disobedience. We don't see in the text where the master said, go do this with my money. The failure of the student was a failure of faith. He failed to step out. We live expecting Christ to come. It's an opportunity for us to take steps of faith and invest what he has given us, step by step, little by little. You might not have a million dollars to invest. That's okay. God's not asking you for that if you don't have it. You might only have $10 in your bank account. That might be what God asks of you. But remember, the person who invests And faith was rewarded equally. That's really cool. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to live expectantly, knowing that you have equipped each of us individually. You've gifted us with resources, with time, with money. You have not gifted all of us equally. And you don't expect all of us to produce the exact same results. But what you do expect is for each of us to fully invest ourselves in what you're doing and to step out in faith. I pray that you would work in our hearts that you would convict us in areas where we need to step out. That you would show us how we can better be investing. We thank you that you are the God who is coming again. And that we can anticipate that day when you will come and you will judge and you will see us as you see Christ.